0: and Pocono Gardens. Do all
1: the things you wanted to do all summer. All day. All night. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Call 1-800-441-4410 for reservations at Pocono Gardens and beautiful Mount Airy Lodge. Welcome to FW Presents, the omnibus show with the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining me for yet another episode of Mountain Comics, where I talk about my beloved comics that I purchased as a kid on vacation up in the Poconos, is my pal Chris Franklin. Hello, Chris. Hey, Rob. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Are we excited about this episode of Nightcast? I I mean, uh, Mountain (laughs) Comics?
0: I'm very excited because... Because somebody had to go and have a kid. I mean, priorities, people. I haven't been able to do nightcast for like a month now, so i got to get my Batman fix, right? There we
1: go. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not just a phase, as Shag says. It's, it's an ongoing thing. So, yeah, we're here to talk about a issue of Batman that I purchased up in the Poconos when I was a kid. The comic in question is Batman number 317, the Riddler's 1001 Clue Caper. It was on sale August 9th. 1979, which means I would have been uh, just eight years old when I bought this, and I still have a vague recollection of the actual store that I bought it in, so this is one of those comics that, you know, uh, over time, I have lost my original copy, the one that I bought then, uh, that's gone, and I've since repurchased this book, Uh, but it it is a beloved comic to me, and of course, when we're talking about Man, you know, Chris, you jumped in and said you wanted to talk about this one, because I guess you, you have this one, right?
0: Yes, I have it, and I bought it off the stands uh, that when it was new too. And I think I was probably four years old at that time. Oh, so, all right, very yeah.
1: exciting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I said, this is it's uh, the one thousand one clue caper. It's by Lynn Wein, Irv Novick, and Frank McLaughlin. Uh, before we even get to the the story, that we need to talk about the cover. The cover is by Dick Giordano, and it's got the Riddler on top of some loot, and he's kind of got his fists in the air, and he's he's really happy that he's getting away with this crime. And of course, in the background, are Batman and Robin about to get the drop on him. And when I look at this cover, I mean, first of all, it's drawn by Dick Giordano, you know, who was the closest we ever got to a DC house style. But mm-hmm. in, in terms of the poses and the sort in terms of the iconic nature of the three characters. If you took all the trade dress off of this cover, this could have been like a t-shirt or a poster because this oh, is yeah. every, everything you need to know about Batman and Robin and one of their villains. Yeah.
0: It, and Dick Giordano did a lot of uh, licensing art in the seventies with Neil Adams and then by himself. This could have very easily been a puzzle or, yeah. uh, or something yeah. like that. I mean, it, it's, it's so iconic. I mean, that to me, this is what, All three of these characters look like inside my brain, you know. (laughs) This is so. eh, I mean, yeah, it's 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 iconic. I mean, it it really is. It's a it's a great cover, and I and somewhat controversial statement. There's times I actually prefer the Dick Giordano solo versions of Batman and Robin over the Neil Adams versions because (gasps) I know I know because his Batman's a little thicker. He's a little more. Broad and beefier looking, and his Robin looks a little bit older and more like college age teen wonder to me than okay. Neil adam All
1: right. so no, I, I would put them on on even keel. I mean there's a, the way that this cover is constructed I mean it's at night, it's in front of a moon. You don't even need to know that Riddler what Riddler is stealing to know he's stealing it. And you get such great full-on shots of all three characters. You know, it mean, really could, as you said, it could have been a puzzle, a t-shirt, a poster. Uh, it just, it, if you, if you wanted to, as a kid, have like a Batman image, you could do a lot worse than this one. This is just, it's just so beautiful. And, I mean, I always loved Batman ever since I was, you know, a, a toddler. So I'm sure any Batman comic would have been of interest to me at age eight, but um, this one probably jumped out of the cover, jumped out of me because of the cover. It's just so well done. I mean, he's just, you know, he's just, Riddler is so sure he's getting away with it. When of course, you know, in about a second, he's about to get his head bashed in.
0: Right. Even though he, according to this cover, is our favorite Bat villain, because it says,
1: if your favorite
0: Bat villain back to try the Riddler's 1001 clue Caper, which I'm like, well, you know, the, I guess the the Riddler is certainly one of the most popular Batman villains, and of course we all know that's because of the TV show right. and Frank Gorshin's performance. And you can hear Frank Gorshin saying this line, or you could hear the uh, uh, the Michael Bell off the Super Friends mm-hmm. saying this line. And you know, and this is right around the time of the shortly after the Challenge of the Super Friends, so you know it kind of all fits together. The Riddler was was still a big, very big deal in, uh, in 1979.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's just terrific. It's absolutely terrific. So uh, anyway, the story in question, as I mentioned, is the 1001 Clue Caper, Len Wein, Irv Novick, and Frank McLaughlin. Uh, at Gotham Police HQ, Batman receives a package, a book of riddles. Everyone, of course, knows exactly what this means. The Riddler is on the loose. Across town on a quiet country road, we see that this is, of course, true. The Riddler stops a truck, tr- truck driver via gunpoint and commandeers the guy's truck full of chickens. Back at the Batcave, Batman points out to Robin that the Riddle's book has a property of Gotham State Prison stamp in it, which means the Riddler has been planning this scheme for a long while. Robin heads to the prison to look for clues, while Batman resumes his idea of Bruce Wayne to attend to Wayne Enterprise business. At the prison, Robin asks to meet the Riddler's cellmate, Jake Hammer. Unfortunately, Hammer was wounded trying to escape with the Riddler and is now in a coma. Robin, nevertheless, tries to get through to the man, and Hammer's mutter, Hammer mutters incoherently until he relates a riddle and its answer. Meanwhile, the Riddler's crime spree continues at a magazine distributor. Using the loose chickens as a distraction, he steals a pallet of bound magazines. He drives off in a garbage truck, jettisoning the chassis. He drives off, uh, leaving, the, leave, leaving everyone there to be sort of uh, nonplussed. After Bruce Wayne has an interlude with Selena Kyle, he rendezvous with Dick at his rooftop penthouse to discuss the case. Robin tells Batman about what has happened and that the GCPD learned that the magazine warehouse was a front for gun running. Since that's what Jake Hammer was convicted of, Batman says this case is coming together. At the Gotham docks, a man in a trench coat is looking for Jake Hammer. He is shocked to learn the Riddler is there instead, ready to make the deal. The man has a small fortune on him for rifles, which are hidden inside the hollow stacks of magazines. Before the deal can be made, Batman and Robin show up. Robin takes care of the man in the trench coat, and Batman tackles the Riddler. He falls over onto a cache of rifles and grabs one, aiming it at the Dark Knight. The Riddler starts to back away, not noticing the subtle signal Batman gives to Robin. Suddenly, they head in separate directions, distracting the Riddler. He fires at Robin and misses, and then Batman uh, drops a nearby net over him, scooping him into the air. The issue ends with Lucius Fox having a meeting at a nearby hotel, waiting for him as a man named... Gregorian Falstaff, Fox thinks to himself, I am in deep trouble. And that is the end of this issue. Um, What did you think of this story, Chris?
0: Uh, You know, this is a lot of fun. It's it's very for me. It was very exciting when I was a kid because, you know, I, of course, grew up watching the Adam West TV show. I watched the Super Friends. I watched the Filmation Batman cartoons and Robin was with Batman In every episode of those, but yet in the comics, Robin was not with Batman in most of his solo comics. Uh, Super Friends was the only place you could get a regular Batman and Robin fix at the time. Robin had a backup feature in Detective Comics and before that Batman Family at this time. But this was during Robin's summer vacation. (laughs) (laughs) So, So he would show up in the books and it was always a treat for me during this era to, for robin to be home from college and and i honestly think that robin being in college helped inform me that you know when you get out of high school you just go to college i never questioned going to college yeah. because early on because if robin did it then i should do it too Aww. <laughs> he's an inspiration that's right even though he dropped out of college <laughs> But we'll forget about that part. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but yeah, this is a lot of fun. It it does feel very much like a classic Batman story. Uh, It feels like a, either a Bill Finger, Dick Sprang, you know, uh, late golden age, early silver age story, or a straight silver age, like John Broom, Carmine Infantino story. Uh, And, but it has the marvelization effect of all the subplots, because you've Mm -hmm. got the Selina Kyle subplot. You've got the Lucius Fox plot, and Lucius is a fairly new character at this point. I think he first appeared in, like, Batman number 308. So uh, he's, he's fairly new to the series and, of course, would go on to be a very important character in the Nolan movie. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, Morgan Freeman. <laughs>
1: yeah, I can't do, can't do, uh, I can't do better than that. Uh, yeah, this, this, this isn't, like, the Riddler's most imaginative plan in the world. I mean, it's just gun running really. There's nothing terribly, you know, like, riddlery about it. The riddles themselves don't factor into the plot uh, a whole lot, but it doesn't bother me, because again, this is this is kind of like um, a comfort food comic, because mm-hmm. it just it sort of unfolds like you expect it to. The splash page is, is, is a great, you know, classic shot of, of, of an action that doesn't act, you know actually take place in the story. It's, it's, it's abstract. You've got the Riddler throwing question marks at Batman and Robin. Uh, Irv Novick and Frank McLaughlin did a great job on that. Um, it's just, you know, it has all the sort of trappings of the 60s TV show, except it's more straightforward. I love the idea that in the Gotham City prison, they even allow Riddle books. Yeah. You would think they would not do that. They would just be like, look, we can't, we can't let Riddle books get in the hands of this guy. Because he can't, he can't handle them emotionally, you know? Right. So you would think they would just say, those are out. You know, I mean, we all know all different school systems rule out all sorts of books for different cultural reasons. So you would think the Gotham City Library Department or the, the, the prison system would say, no joke books, no books about birds, no books, no books about uh, scarecrows or fears, none of that stuff. The number stuff. two. Yeah, yeah, the number two, no, none of that stuff. It's gotta just be, you know, a tree grows in Brooklyn and like Lord of the Rings. Just real straight ahead stuff. So just giving the Riddler a riddle book just seems like you're asking for trouble.
0: Well and I you know, I since you mentioned that this is, is of course very similar to uh the feel of the T V show in a lot of ways, but like you said, more straightforward. I chalk it up to Warden Crichton's uh his uh, right, yeah. his penal rehabilitation methods that were often questioned uh, by Batman on the TV show, and in fact Sergeant Hayner, who uh, is the guy that operates the bat signal in the comic books, he looks like Stafford reps Chief O'Hara here. I mean, it looks like Irv Novik Irv Novik has drawn Chief O'Hara into the comic books in one particular panel. I mean, it's it, it's dead on. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you have to figure that 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 you know that was on their mind because you know it was so prevalent. You can't oh, help yeah. it when you're think of these actors when you when you start drawing these these sort of ancillary figures and stuff. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, it, oh, go ahead.
1: No, no, you go right
0: ahead. I was going to say it, it's it's you know it, the Riddler's plot is 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 pretty interesting. I mean, it's another one of those things where couldn't he have distracted him at the dock a different way than to, you know, is a truck full of chickens really that good of a distraction? Yeah, I
1: know. Yeah. And he
0: put, he puts them in, uh, here's my favorite part. He puts them in a customized jet propelled garbage truck. That's able to eject the back of it and just like the chassis take off. Okay. Patent that enigma.
1: Yeah. You know, sell that patent to (laughs) somebody. That's one of those Lex Luthor things, you know, where exactly. the, the challenge of the super friends Luthor has all these amazing, you know, here's a beam that can turn us all invisible. And you're like, well, just sell that. Just, yeah. just sell that to the government and they'll right. use it, they'll use it, uh, in, you know, in, in Nicaragua and you'll make a billion dollars and you don't need to worry about running afoul of the super friends. I don't understand. What are you doing? It's, so yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it, there's a lot of crazy stuff. I mean, they said Riddler's a pretty smart guy. Um, the one, this is such a straightforward story that I can't, I can't ding the story for not having it, but I was sort of, as I was rereading it, I was a little hoping that when they get to the sequence at the magazine distributor, that there wasn't like a little in-joke about them distributing DC or Marvel Comics, because it feels oh. like you're set up for that a little. And then they don't do it, but it's like, okay, you know, I just thought you could do a little like, you know, that maybe, uh, you know, there's gun running secretly behind Marvel Comics distribution or something. Just a, little, <laughs> a little shot at them if Len Wein wanted to take it
0: well you know they they i have heard rumblings before that that kenny services that that bought dc and, and warner brothers at the time was was a little connected so because ah, uh, <laughs> uh, they owned they made their money with parking lots and cement sim- and, and tombstones and Tombstone. weird things like that just they were very diversified so that that's always kind of a hmm, you know uh but yeah but you know it's it's it, yeah, it is kinda odd that uh you know, it it made me think with these magazines I always hear our our British friends, uh, like Martin Gray and Andrew Leyland talk about how they got like the American versions of the comics as ballast mm-hmm. uh on ships. So it made me wonder it's like so I wonder if there was like a you know, a submachine gun in a in a stack of <laughs> <laughs> Richie Riches as they came over. Martin, Martin,
1: Andrew, if you're listening to this episode, let us know in the comments if you accidentally found yourself with a revolver or something in the middle of a some, some sad set comics or something. You never know what was going on over there. Um, yeah, this is this, like I said. This is it, there's nothing remarkable here. It's just straight ahead, just a fun diverting batman story that lasts like 18 19 pages it sets up a few subplots as you mentioned sort of the marvelization of things that that has these ongoing subplots but it's just a very straightforward batman robin versus riddler adventure and i'm sure that when i read this at eight years old i just loved it because it's exactly what i wanted it's just it's it's diverting it's entertaining irv novick underrated batman artist i think yes Uh, mclaughlin one of my favorite inkers, and it just it delivers the goods. You're not going to particularly remember it in any great way years down the line, but it's, it's solidly entertaining.
0: Well, and, you know, I think this could have even come from, uh, uh, you know, the, the Englehart Rogers uh, Batman run wasn't too far before this, too long before this. And, uh, I, you know, they, they went, they did a Joker story, they did a Penguin story, they brought back Deadshot. But it seemed like there was this, you know, kind of uh, this, you know, re, you know, doing new stories with the classic Batman villains was kind of on the mind of the creators. Uh, so the Riddler probably hadn't been done in a few years in a solo adventure. So this was kind of the Riddler shot at, uh, you know, that's one reason why it says like your favorite Bat villain. You know, they're really pushing the fact that you know we're we're bringing back the classics. You know, th- that's that's kind of the feeling you get from this one. And you know, Irv Novik. To me, when I was a when I was a really young kid, the three Batman guys were Irv Novick on Batman, Don Newton on Detective, and then of course Jim Aparo on Brave and the Bold. And uh, all those guys, to me, are you know I, I you know Irv Novick kind of gets spoken of less than the others, but he actually you know had a run on Batman in the late '60s and in the early '70s, and he kind of he kind of didn't work on the Batman books as much in the middle seventies. And he was, you know, doing a lot of flash at that time. And then he came back and he, he worked through the like early eighties here. And, uh, you know, he even showed up in one of the invasion tie. Yeah, he, he yeah. 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 So, but I always really liked his, his stuff's got a very, he's kind of like, it, he's like the Dick Dylan of Batman. That was arts. exactly
1: the comparison I was going to make.
0: Yeah, <laughs> he they've got a similar style. Uh, Novick's got a little more quirky, kinetic, uh, feel to him. It's like when he, he likes to draw people like leaping from behind that shot of Robin leaping at the, at the guy that the Riddler meets at the docks is, uh, that's classic Irv Novick. And, uh, you know, there's a few shots that you'll, you'll see him do over and over that are you know, that he did a lot with Batman and Robin and, uh, you know he, he you know in, in his his artwork actually, to segue in one of the other shows I do on Wonderful Toys, he actually drew the headshots of Robin on the two of the versions of Migos DC packaging.
1: Oh, okay, all right. Yeah,
0: so, so he's, uh, you know he he got he got in there on on some of the uh, on some of the merchandising, and I always thought, and this is getting pretty obscure, but. Uh, Remco made those energized superhero figures, and the Batman had long ears, pretty long ears. And I always thought he looked like a very Irv Novik Batman, even as a kid. When I got that, it probably like around this same time, mm. I felt like this looks like an Irv Novick Batman. That's I was a warped kid at four years old. I, <laughs> I, I I could tell the difference between these artists and how they drew Batman, you know. So it, it's it, it goes, it's a mania that goes very deep, but yeah, I really. I really liked this stuff and yeah, you you hit the nail on the head with the comfort food thing. This is this is most definitely Bat Batman comfort food yeah. for me especially. Yeah. yeah.
1: you you know where it's going, you know kind of there's not gonna be a, t- a terrible lot of surprises here, but that's fine. That's that's what it is. It's just delivering the goods and again I agree totally with Irv Novick. He was somebody that I was I, I liked to just find when I was a kid, but as I've gotten older I've gotten to appreciate the sort of just dependability of it and the professional of Professionalism of it And it's funny You mentioned the panel Where where Robin is leaping To grab the guy In the docks The very next panel Is Robin Punching the guy Where he says It's foolish And the guy's like Ugh And if you just Take out Like the word balloons Like I would want That on a t-shirt Because it's just This classic shot Of Robin pasting A bad guy one And he's drawn This background Where it's this Sort of like Purple squares Coming in And there's like A deep shadow And it's just It's perfect It's like just A perfect drawing of Robin in action. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's Dylan and Novick. These guys were never going to be sort of like super fan favorites because their stuff just wasn't as flashy. And I would lump in kind of Kurt Swan with that too. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. They, they were never going to be a Neil Adams. They were never going to be kind of a Jim Apero or a Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. Praise be his name. Because, but those guys, although Apero wasn't in the league with those two in terms of his how slow he was in terms of and Adams and – Garcia Lopez were a lot slower. But, you know, if you're running a comic book company, Irv Novik is one of your guys because yeah. he's going to get the work done. It's going to look good. It's going to come in on time and it is going to keep you from getting fired. And that's an right. important thing. That's a really important thing when you're producing as much material as you are. And so, yeah, he uh, he deserves a, a lot of credit. And I'm, you know, I, I'm glad that, like, sort of people our age have kind of come around to him and you're like, nah, this stuff's really pretty good.
0: Yeah. I mean, he. He was a golden age artist. He co created The Shield. Uh the original patriotic wow. I don't superhero. Know if I knew that. So, okay. Yeah, so I mean he you know, he'd been at it since the beginning of comics. And I mean, you know, at, at this point the guy was probably oh I, what what he was like probably in his sixties probably by here or yeah, very least, close to at least it.
1: his fifties, yeah. At
0: least his late fifties, yeah. So I mean, you know, and, and he did he did solid stuff until he pretty much just completely retired. Right. From comics at the end of at the end of the next decade, so yeah, I mean, I, I was always happy to see him back on Batman, and he did a lot of Robin solo stuff, and and his his artwork's all over that DC Super Dictionary where they yeah, yeah <laughs> you know yeah. they lift artwork from from the comics and things. So yeah, it's uh, yeah he we uh, you know we'll wax his Batmobile all day long. It's it's great <laughs> exactly. stuff. It's speaking of which, of course, this issue features the late 70s early 80s batmobile which is like my number two comic batmobile after the dick sprang bubble dome Mm -hmm. 1950 batmobile because i love it it was of course on the super friends starting with challenge of the super friends i think dick giordano himself designed it i'm pretty sure and that was the basis of the superpowers batmobile and i just got a lot of love for you know after the the george barris tv show batmobile of course uh, that's one of my top, top Batmobiles. It's just, uh, it's, just, I mean, I, you know, the impracticality of being the open roof, okay, whatever, but it just looks so awesome.
1: <laughs> For a city that seems to have as much rain in it as Gotham, having an open roof car doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but what are you going to do?
0: You know, another thing when you were talking about uh, Robin punching that guy, it's kind of interesting because he even, you know, comments about, makes a comment about how, uh he doesn't like the word foolish or called a fool because of the way he dresses. So it's like DC really had this like they wanted desperately to change Robin's costume mm-hmm. but they just could wouldn't pull the trigger back then. It's like cuz they had all those those features in Batman Family and Detective where they would show, you know, Robin's here's some costume designs for Robin including one by Norm Breyfogle uh before he was a pro. Really? A-
1: I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, one of them was by by Bray yeah, who would later go on to of course draw Batman and Robin.
1: Norm fricking
0: Bray say. Norm freaking Bray yeah, Norm frickin' Bray yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so you know, so it they were really struggling with that apparently, you know, and uh, of course it would be a few years from now when when uh, Dick would get a new, finally retire his Robin costume. But yeah, I just thought that was kind of it's it just seems to keep popping up in '70s uh, Batman and Robin stories I read this. Idea of, of Robin being uncomfortable in his classic costume. So, okay, interesting.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, this this comic, I vaguely remember where I got it when I was, when we were on vacation. I think there was a um like a five and ten type store, like a Woolworths type store, uh, in the uh, t- in the small town. That was just a couple of miles away from where we had our cabin. And this is this really small town called Hawley. And they had a 5 and 10 store and they had a big rack of comics. And this is, I kind of remember getting this one there. I don't know why I have such sense memory for this stuff. But that's where I kind of remember getting it. Because they had a lot of different comics. And so that's, that's where I got. I'm able to trace almost all of the comics I got at the time, at what newsstand I got them from, I'm able to remember. Okay, it was this newsstand here, this newsstand here. So, this is what I kind of remember is picking it up. And that's a long time ago. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. amazed I can remember that because you're talking 1979. That's 40, that's 38 years ago at this point, but I still kind of remember these things. It's amazing what I choose to remember and what I choose to forget. You know what I mean? Like other stuff from just a couple years ago was gone, but I remember where I picked up a Batman comic from 1979.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, it's, I don't partic- remember this one in particular, but it was more than likely from Eastside Pharmacy that I talked about on our newsstand uh, oh, show, the right. Ciscoid. And uh I more than likely got it from there, and my mom or sister probably bought it for me because, you know, like I said, I was four. Right, yeah. uh, and, and my mom probably read it to me, you know, so. Uh, but she would read the comics to me before I, you know, could read them myself. And, and in fact, I, I may have told this story before, but it just popped in my head. I. You know when my parents were telling me oh you go to school you know when you go to kindergarten you'll you learn how to read you can read your own comics and and uh the first thing i said when i walked in from the first day of school my dad's like well son what did you how was your first day of school and, he, and i said i didn't learn how to read anything you know? <laughs> <laughs> you promised me i could read my comic i thought i mean i guess i thought i was going to go to school one day and be able to come home and read my own comic Poof! but yeah <laughs> exactly bam you know but you know I, I love the whole idea of the mountain comics that you can remember where you bought them and everything that that's really cool. I you know I was trying to think that you know I I mean I'm not this is uh, play the violins here but when when I was a kid we just didn't go on vacation. Hmm. I mean we really didn't. I mean I, I I I had a great childhood. I was spoiled rotten. I mean you can tell by all the toy stories I've told. <laughs> uh but but uh but we just didn't that's just not something we did. I mean we we very rarely would take like an overnight trip to like a state park or something, you know? And, uh, I spent a lot of times in a car going on car rides with a stack of comics in the back and not paying attention to my surroundings, which is why I still can't figure out how to hell to get out of my own County nowadays, <laughs> but, but, which my dad will bring up. He's like, well, son, if you hadn't had your nose in a comic book all the time in the back seat, you know, you, <laughs> but uh, I do remember one time we went, uh, we went somewhere. I can't remember where it was, but, the, I remember I picked up the. Uh, this was toward the mid to late '80s. I picked up the uh, the two issues of Captain America right after Steve Rogers quit. Okay. And, you know the the first the I think the first two with John Walker as as Captain America. You know that storyline, and I I think I had I missed the one where he quit, so I was just flummoxed by right, it right. you know I'm like, oh my god this is happening you know so it's, I, I i recall the you know being in the hotel room like going when did this happen how did i not know about this you know it's just newsstand distribution had screwed me over again and i hadn't i hadn't hadn't been keep, been able to keep up with captain america but yeah that that was my two mountain comics i can think of
1: <laughs> it's amazing we're all so nostalgic for newsstand distribution when it often thwarted us in so many ways Right, exactly.
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, I was lucky if I, I mean, there's still holes I'm plugging in in my Batman and Detective runs that I didn't get, you know, and yeah, so JLA 200 I couldn't find for uh, a decade. Oh, boy. I I missed out on that, yeah. Uh,
1: (laughs) All right, so before we uh, sign off on this book, we are going to do something we haven't done most of the time in other uh, episodes of Mountain Comics or another. We're going to talk about the ads. There's a lot of fun. DC and, and sort of comic book related ads. So Chris and I are going to go through these just briefly because uh, I, I enjoy looking at this stuff. I, I you know it, it's kind of like it's it's funny when you look at old TV shows, you know, and like you look at it like if you watched a episode on something like Hulu, you hate the ads, but if you watch a TV show from like thirty years ago, you kind of want to see the ads because now they're vintage. Mm-hmm. You know, they've, they've achieved – they're not they're not annoying anymore. They're vintage ads. So I love looking at some of these. So the first one that we want to talk about uh, that's superhero-related is – it's a half-page ad where it talks about superhero glue sticks. <laughs> and you can get Superman, Wonder Woman, Spider-Man, and Hulk. And this is really one of the last times, to my memory – that the Marvel DC characters were uh, ever going to be mixed together. They stopped being mixed together in, on Mego ads and things like that. So this is, but this, you know, the superhero's license was owned uh, jointly by the two companies. And so this is kind of one of the last products where you're going to mix and match these characters.
0: Right, yeah. And I mean, as they get into the 80s, you know, they'll... They'll start. They'll start. uh, You know, they'll do secret wars and superpowers, and so they won't have to use the same branding anymore. Right, right, Uh, right. Yeah, but yeah, it's kind of interesting. There's no Batman and no Robin, which is very unusual in this period. You know, you almost always get Batman and Robin, uh, on at least Batman on, and usually Robin on stuff like this. Yeah. These are the type of things when I was a kid, I'd beg my mom to get. But as an adult now, I'm like, it's a sticker.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a glue stick that was. They had a thousand glue sticks sitting in a warehouse somewhere, and somebody said we can slap a Hulk sticker on it and call it Hulk glue. And you're like, genius. Yeah, Yeah. I'm guessing. I'm guessing the reason there's no Batman here is because these four characters were on TV at the time. Well, that's Although true. Superman wasn't, but well, he, he was had a movie. Star. He was a movie star.
0: So. He was a movie star. Yeah, that's true. And the the it's funny. The Slim Jim ad up above it actually says comic strips, and it talks about you know when you're reading your comic books, eat a Slim Jim.
1: Yeah. <laughs> which is terrible advice, by the way. Don't don't do that.
0: <laughs> Young rock, macho man Randy Savage took this to heart. Oh,
1: you know? god! I, I think I ate one piece of a Slim Jim. Forty years ago and I almost threw up, it was so awful and I never was tempted by them again. It was so bad.
0: Oh, oh man, I ate the hell out of those things. Oh a kid.
1: God, Chris. Oh, they're no... oh, It's hard to tell. It's still
0: it's still like a you know, a piece of plastic sitting in the bottom of my stomach yeah. probably. <laughs> it
1: has not decomposed yet. That's true. Right.
0: Oh, How do you got Jack Davis art? There, That's you very know,
1: nice. You get the Jack Davis art. That's very well, remember the,
0: the Slim Jim ads with the, the vampire and the werewolf? Yeah, all like... those are
1: terrific. Those, oh man, Jack Davis, man, he was the best. Was of
0: course, they the kind best. of they look like the Mad Monster Party because mm-hmm. he designed the Mad Monster
1: Party. He designed the Mad Monster Party. <laughs> <laughs> those are, yeah, those are absolutely terrific. So, uh, the next ad is a classic we're all familiar with a hostess ad, it's a hostess Twinkies ad starring Green Lantern. And uh, Chris and I are going to do, live in front of you all, we are going to do a, uh, a, a dramatization of this ad. Uh, so now normally we've been doing these you know, here and there on the shows, but we've been recording them separately. But here Chris and I are going to do it live in front of you. So I hope you all enjoy this sort of uh, un- unedited version of the ad. So I'll start off uh, with the narration, and that is Green Lantern versus Triclops, Three-Eyed Keeper of the Cave.
0: Okay, Triclops, your days of gluttonous crime are over. Oh no, my power ring run out, no
1: energy in it. Nothing in my stomach either, Jim Lantern, and you'll fill it nicely. As Triclops and Green Lantern are locked in Mortal Kombat, two young cave explorers appear.
0: Look, Green Lantern's about to be Triclops' dinner. Let's use our hostess Twinkies cakes to tempt him away. Sink your fangs into these, Triclops.
1: I like the moist sponge cake. I like the creamed
0: filling. Mmm! Well, I'm off to recharge my power ring. I'm glad Triclops prefers golden Twinkie Cakes to Green Lanterns. You get a big delight, a big delight every bite. Every bite
1: of Hostess,
0: Hostess Twinkie's case. Cakes.
1: <laughs> I love your Green Lantern voice because I can picture the deep tan as you're doing
0: it. <laughs> I, got, I mean, Green Lantern in 1979 has to sound like this super friends guy.
1: <laughs> he, man, that, he had a basso profundo voice, man. He is killer. That thing. That's fantastic.
0: And, I and like that. I said, on, on, uh, on our first episode of Saturday Morning Fever, it's the same guy that does uh, Apache Chief. He just talks slower as
1: Oh, really? I don't think I knew that. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Okay, (laughs) interesting. Okay. Um, Okay, so then the next ad is an ad for issues 171 and 172 of Justice League, which is the two-part JLA-JSA team-up where Mr. Terrific gets offed, basically. And it says, The hottest thing this summer! And then it features all this great headshot, uh, stock card that they had lying around of the JLAers and the jSAers and they're all flying in various directions. And it talks about that you know, part one came out last month, and now we're getting part two, which is on sale now. Um, we have we haven't had a chance to ever like talk about this two parter because we just don't have like a, a devoted JLA show. Mike Peacock handles that over on on his show. Dawn of just a classic Dawn of Justice, but uh, I this I love this storyline and I think it's it's a fun ad. It's a little slapped together because you can see that the the you know it's just they had some headshots and other characters they don't have headshots for, but but you know it's okay, it, it's, uh, it's a great story.
0: Yeah, I mean, the ads like you got Neil Adams headshots, you got Joe Stanton headshots, you got Dick Dillon headshots, yeah. you got Mike Grill Power Girl, it's a Wally Wood. I mean, it's like it's all over the place, but it's still. Cool, and I really wanted these issues. Couldn't find them. Oh. I I I didn't find them for years later, and uh, till years later. And uh, I've always thought that cover was very misleading because Batman's pointing to what looks like Superman. Honestly, it's like a red cape mm-hmm. that ain't got nothing to do with
1: the nope. story at all. No, nope. <laughs> nope. it's a total, it's a total cheat. Total right. cheat that cover. Um, yeah. So the next ad is uh, for the Unexpected, number 194. And it's got uh, Madame Xanadu saying, I am Madame Xanadu. I welcome to take you an unexpected journey through Doorway to Nightmare where you will meet a werewolf hunter amid the sight and sound of moonlight and laughter. And then you've got Abel saying, I'm Abel of the House of Secrets, also in this issue presenting tales that scare even me. And this was the time when the unexpected had been promoted to a dollar comic and they folded in Doorway to Nightmare and House of Secrets into the title. So it was just sort of one big book. And this cover, man, this cover scared the living crap out of me when I was oh. a kid. I figure since you were even more of a weenie, it must have really <laughs> killed you as a kid. But I mean, it's got this woman like a like a singer on stage live on television. And in the background, there's this weird guy, and he's talking about that he's got a curse on her. And unbeknownst to her, live on camera, half her face is melting off. (laughs) It is so creepy. I've still to this day never read this story. And I told Ryan Daly when he started It's Midnight that if and when he ever gets to the story, I want to do it because that will be my opportunity to read the story for the first time.
0: Yeah, this one, this ad scared the crap out of me. As You knew it was coming. It did. Uh, I, werewolves, I've told the story about how Admiral Costello meet Frankenstein. Like, I had a, you know, I had a seizure. Uh, the first five minutes of it with Lon Chaney changing into the Wolfman just sent me into hysterics. So anytime a werewolf was in a comic, I, I was just, you know, hiding underneath, the, behind the couch or something. And... <laughs> This woman's face melting. It haunted me, and for some whatever reason, I I don't know why, and I still remember this. I thought this woman was Lonnie Anderson from WKRP in Cincinnati. Okay. <laughs> I, she just she just looked like her to me. I don't know. Okay. I, okay. But that's who I identified her with. And I I mean, when, as soon as I saw this ad, I remember it scared the crap out of me, and I remember Lonnie Anderson. So. <laughs>
1: There's there's just something about the woman's face melting off and her not knowing it and the other half of her face is all smiley. And just the idea that you're like you're at home and you're watching it on live television—it's—it's really—it's a great cover. It, I'm, there's no way the story's going to live up to it, uh, but man, it's a great—it's a great story. So, like I said, hopefully Ryan Daly will get back to it's midnight in in ten to twelve years, and then when we, we can we can do it then. So
0: right. Well, you know, I don't know. Sometimes those covers do work. Cause wasn't it another issue of the Unexpected with the Easter Bunny story, That's and that true. was actually. As good as the cover, if not better. <laughs>
1: That's true. That's true. Well, I I, I, am pro- I, promise Ryan, I wouldn't read ahead. I'm going to – like I'll wait till read it until we're ready to do the show. So it's, it's – I, I have the comic. I just haven't ever looked at it yet, so I'm, I'm holding strong. So uh, the next ad is an ad for Batman Comics. You can subscribe to Batman and Brave and the Bold. Oddly enough, though, not Detective. They don't give you that Ooh. option. It's very strange. It's drawn by Jim Aparo, so we're getting some Aparo goodness in here. And it gives you all these questions uh, where it says, can you outwit the world's greatest detective? Check out these questions and see. And, like, oddly enough, it mentions in one of the, like, questions, command You know, like, of all the characters to mention. Uh, And then in the bottom panel, you've got Riddler, uh, Riddler, I'm sorry. You've got Alfred serving up the Batman comics on a tray and Robin talking about the subscription. And it's, you know, it's just a nice, I love that they bothered to get Jim Aparo to do this kind of thing. Like, he wasn't busy enough.
0: Right. And I I believe there is a detective version of this uh, that talks about all the features in detective because it was in its dollar comic phase.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: And so it would have been higher. So, you know, that's what it is. Yeah. And it's funny because some of the stuff they mentioned, they say, is Batman mad or does he only think so? I think that's a reference to the Untold Legend of the Batman miniseries. Hmm. So it it makes me wonder, because all this deal with Catwoman that's going on right now, Bruce's romance with Selina Kyle, is going to result in this battle and this warehouse explosion. If you've read Untold Legend of the Batman, Batman gets, his mind gets kind of unhinged, and he, he starts, like, you know, I don't know. He's like got a split personality. And he's like basically threatening himself and sending these awful uh, threats to himself. And it's it's really, which is a great story, but it's kind of resolved a little too quickly, honestly. But I love it because it's 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 just like one of my favorite uh, Batman comics from the era. But you know, I think during this period, Paul Levitz had become the editor of all the Batman books. I think it's the first time they'd all been under one editor in like years and he was trying to make everything cohesive and uh the commandy thing is a reference to one of bob haney's right last Brave and the bold stories because i think you know uh haney just you know i don't think I, he might have been able to work under those conditions but i think the thought was he's not going to play ball with this continuity <laughs> thing i wonder why you yeah know. <laughs> So yeah, it's unfortunate. But, yeah, I love the art. I mean that the Jim Apparel art in it, its new artwork just makes it seem so legit. Yeah. You
1: know. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's just great that they got their top level guy to do to do an ad that they could have just, you know, fobbed off to somebody in the art department. You know, but they right. had to do it. All right. So, the next is another half page where it's an ad for where you can mail in for the America at War. Book uh, by Michael Uslan, who of course would be very big on Batman's history in just a few (laughs) years. And this is a hardcover collection of uh, DC's War Comics. And this was, you know, really one of the first ideas of uh, of like you know collecting old comics as hardcovers as an actual book. Now I've never had this book. I've never actually had a copy in my hand. Um, It looks really cool. Like I, you know, it seems like something I'd be interested in because it reprints. It, it's a uh, Blackhawk Suicide Squad, Hop Harrigan, Captain Storm, Tomahawk, Sergeant Rock, GI Joe. Even uh, the one issue they had of GI Joe in Showcase. So this, this is like a great book. I've just just never had a chance to own one.
0: Yeah, I've never I've never ran across it, but I I remember seeing it advertised. This and all the uh, the hardcover books, the Batman and Superman from the '30s to right, the '70s, right. and all those haunted me as a kid. I desperately wanted them, but I never. I never saw them in the wild, and, you know, I didn't order them from the comics, so I right, was too right, young right. to order them, so, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, and the next, we have a full-page ad, which is a Heroes World ad, which was all the products, and this was drawn, these ads were drawn by the Joe Kubert School, uh, which would, of course, become pretty significant in my life uh, in, uh, <laughs> in another decade, basically. The, actually, you know, geez, when I think about it, 10 years, exactly 10 years later from when I would have bought this comic, I was preparing to go off to school. Wow! Uh, to the Joe Kubert skull. So, uh, and this ad features underoos, superhero underoos, uh, pocket heroes, and we see a little Aquaman in there. I'm very happy to have that. We see again the, the American War book, a book about the Golden Age art of Joe Kubert, a price guide, a Batman utility belt, and a Wonder Woman set. Uh, I never, I had the pocket heroes. I know you did because they're Mego. I never mm-hmm. had the utility belt. I, I, that's just one of those things. I just, I, I was not like a um. Like a play as the character kid Like I didn't dress mm. up as the character I played with action figures But I was never like put on a Batman mask And pretend I'm Batman That was just not my jam
0: I, I did both uh, but th- And this is going to sound really weird But I was, even as a kid I kind of scoffed at this utility belt Because, you know, Batman's got a big redneck Belt buckle with his name <laughs> on it uh, You know <laughs> Rather than the actual belt buckle From either the comics or the TV show You know, and and I did have the Spider-Man belt because it had like the spiders. It looked like the the signal, the right. spider signal on the front. So I had the Spider-Man one because it was it was authentic enough for me, you know. Uh, but <laughs> I know Cindy has coveted that Wonder Woman set, the Rimco oh, utility sure, belt. Sure, sure. I mean, because it's pretty dead on. I mean, it's got the tiara and the lasso and the bracelets. It's it's you know it's it's pretty legit. So uh, I mean, yeah. It, those things are pretty pricey.
1: I would imagine uh, probably easily very hard to probably find complete.
0: Yeah, and they're they're, they're Rimco, so they're not the best quality. You know, they're pretty oh, okay. cheap. Okay. You know, so they they probably didn't. If you don't find one in a box, you're probably not going to find one at all because they didn't survive. You know, okay. basically, yeah, right, right, right. uh, you know, under underoos, man. I had I had like just a I had Superman, Batman, uh, you know, Spider Man. I had Aquaman. I still have my Aquaman and Captain America have survived into adulthood and my wow. kids. have. Yeah, I I never got Robin or Shazam, but, uh, you know, I, I wanted those, but I never could find them. But, you know, I and I just wore the T-shirts, you know, as T-shirts.
1: Out, yeah, me too. You know? Me too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The, 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 of course, they brought those back now for adults, you know, in the in the packaging that looks like the 70s packaging. You have now. to make sure
1: you're doing in quotes for adults. <laughs> yeah oh
0: god those commercials i mean they're a lot of fun but i feel like such a perv watching them there's no way they'd make those commercials nowadays a little weird a little weird. they are a little weird i mean it's yeah. like uh because uh, they, they've got some really cool animation in them but every time they come up on youtube i'm like okay i'm on a watch list now
1: <laughs> <You know? laughs> and ns uh nsfw uh, yeah, so, <laughs> And then the final, there's a uh, letters page, of course, Bat Signals. And then the final feature is not an ad so much, but it's a DC feature page, which is half page The Answer Man by Bob mm-hmm. Rosakis, who has commented on some shows here on the network here and there. Uh, I always love The Answer Man uh, columns. There's a kid who writes in and he says, will there ever be a Justice League coloring book, which is a kid after my own heart. And, mm-hmm. then, uh, and then somebody asks about Dick Grayson going to college, Chris. And he says, yeah. well, will Dick Grayson ever graduate from Hudson University, Don Ayers? And the answer is, considering it took Dick 30 years to get through high school, we wouldn't start planning any graduation parties.
0: <laughs> yeah, and there's a question about Aquaman.
1: And there is a question uh, about Aquaman, about the whole hour-long, you know, how can he only go an hour before he has to get water in it and stuff. So, yeah, it's got a little bit of everything in here.
0: Yeah, I love I love the Answer Man columns when I was a kid. It, it, I would get kind of mad when there wasn't one. To be honest with you, I'd be like, "Where's the Answer Man column?" You know, what mm-hmm. what I expected it in every DC comic. You know, because that's how I learned. I learned a lot of stuff from it. You know, I mean, I learned before Who's Who uh, came out and things like that. That was kind of how you learned all this information. You know, about about the characters and the publishing history and. And uh, it, you know there were a lot of things that just like raised eyebrows for me, and and uh I you know I wish he continued. I kind of understand why he didn't continue it into the 80s. He you know he, he was getting so many, you know, how much is this comic worth and right, that type got more stuff. and
1: more of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, but I love the the very I, I guess is you know the, most of these questions almost seem like they come from kids, mm-hmm. you know, so that that the the fun innocence of it kind of died out as kids lost interest in comics and you know adult collectors became the main audience so yeah, yeah. it started asking overstreet price guide questions <laughs> <laughs> yeah right
1: right right can you imagine how angry fans would be now if they had an answer man? it would just be all snarky you know <laughs> it would just be it would be awful it'd be like twitter uh, oh, no, God. No, nobody wants to see that so uh, it's no. it's probably a good uh, good remnant from the past And then the final thing is a half page. um, They did these little DC did uh, profiles where they talked about employees of the company, which I always thought were really cool. And in this case, they're talking about colorist Tatiana Wood, who is uh, the wife. uh, I don't know if she was married to Wally Wood uh, anymore at this point because Wally Wood might have, been deceased by 1979, but she was mm-hmm. the wife of Wally Wood, and she I didn't of course, uh, yeah, and she was a big, big um, worked for DC for many, many, many years doing their production stuff, and then moved on to being a colorist. And she must have probably colored thousands of DC comics pages by this point. So I always enjoyed these two, these little, just little featurettes about people that worked in the company. And while I can't say that I ever read one of them and was like, "Oh, I hope this is me one day," I'm sure this had something to do with my wanting to do comics. Uh, mm-hmm. for, you know, because it was like, oh, you know, it's these are real people, you know, you yeah. can hear about their life, and so it's it's a fun little feature.
0: I remember the one for Steve Ditko; it's he it didn't have any information. It said uh, <laughs> a picture's worth a thousand words, and he drew like a new drawing of all his DC characters. Oh wow! Uh, okay. Yeah, he had like the creeper and hawk and dove and Shade, the Changing Man, and the Odd Man who <laughs> made that one appearance in Detective. Fan favorite, the Odd Man. The fan favorite, the Odd Man. I and even as a kid, I was like, okay, this guy's artwork is so weird. <laughs> and, and and that's before I started getting like the Marvel tales with Spider Man. I was just, I was like, what is this? This is like comic art from another planet or something, mm. you know. <laughs> But, of course, Steve Ditko didn't give him any information because no, he's Steve no. Ditko.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Again, we're lucky we just didn't get, like, one of those uh, objectionist uh, lectures from the Ayn Rand book or something like that. We're, we're, right. lucky, we're lucky he agreed to any sort of profile. So, uh, so yeah, that's that's Batman number 317. Uh, it's a fun comic. It's a one-off. You could just read it and, you know, just sort of enjoy the adventure and you go on with the sub subplots and stuff like that. But it's a it's a great comic. It's a beloved Mountain comic, and uh, so, Chris, I have to thank you so much for volunteering on this one. I, uh, this was a lot of fun.
0: Oh, yeah. Any time I get to talk uh, to you about any comic subject, Rob, or anything in general, and any time I get to talk about Batman comics, especially from this era, this was, you know, this, as much as I love the post-crisis era, me and, and me and Ryan cover on Nightcast, you know, this is this is when I was coming up through Batman, you know, right. so... It's uh, it's the found, very foundation of of my fandom, uh, and uh, yeah, it was it was great. I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it with you.
1: Awesome. So, uh, what are your shows here on the network?
0: I am on the Supermates podcast with my wife Cindy. I am on Nightcast, as mentioned, with Ryan Daly on on Baby Hiatus at the moment. Uh, I <laughs> I am on the upcoming Superman movie minute with you. Yay! And the Power Records podcast with you, which this comic would have made a great Power Records.
1: Yes, yes, it would have.
0: Yeah, and I'm also on, on FW Presents, which this is show the Mountain Comics are a part of. I also do my Where Does He Get Those Wonderful Toys uh, shows, so I'm all over the place.
1: Me too, I do of course the Fire and Water podcast with Chag We do Who's Who, I do Pod Dylan I do Film and Water podcast I do the subset show of Film and Water podcast Which is Turn It Off with Tracy I do Digest cast with Chag and I do Treasure Cast all by myself. Way too many shows, and they all can be found at our network site, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. dot com. You can find us on Twitter at FW Podcast. So, Chris, once again, thank you so much. This is I, I enjoy these nostalgia trips back to the Poconos, and I appreciate uh, you jumping in the time time machine with me to check out the Poconos. I hope you enjoyed the view of Lake Wallenpaupack. <laughs> yeah, I got to go on vacation. <laughs> I see. There you go. You got to. You know, only. Th- 35 years late but you got to go on vacation with me sort of uh, sort of by proxy so um, <laughs> thanks so much for doing this man I appreciate it.
0: Oh no problem anytime.
1: Alright so thanks everybody for listening and uh, we will have another Mountain Comics episode coming to you very soon. We have a, I have a couple of really cool things lined up. I got a lot of Mountain Comics to talk about so there will be more episodes so thanks everybody for listening and uh, we will see you later. Bye. Bye.